Hello, and welcome to the Comedia's Paradise. This is where we talk to some of the most tantalising, scrumptious, and tasty comedy individuals across the comedy globe. Now, today's guests are the fantastic Mark Broadhead, the best heckler in all of London, and we have the number one Kiwi comic in London, apart from Car... Well, I reckon he's better than Card Ninja, Sully Sullivan, who has the first name of Sully from Top Boy. That's the intro. Yeah, Yay, go intro. Did you did you guys like that intro? Uh, I would like to formally apologise to Javier Harquin, otherwise known as the Card Ninja, uh, and make it absolutely clear that I did not write that intro. Uh, also, I'm not even in London at the moment, so uh, it's clearly not my fault. You're based in the north, am I right in saying that? Yeah, that's place? right. So I'm, uh, I am doing this uh, from uh, my off home office uh, in North Manchester. Ah, okay. So, Mark, be careful. It's North Manchester or Gun North Gunchester. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, people when people hear my accent around here, uh, like you know, so, say I get a delivery to the front door. I do, uh, I come out with this accent, and I do get a really <laughs> like, like like where did your life go wrong? <laughs> kind of reaction. Yes. What you what you said that is that is that like comedians that you say like when when someone gets surprised that you do comedy, they ask you. Oh no no no! They're just surprised that a New Zealander is living in North Manchester. <laughs> Are you, are you being held there against your will? Uh, I'm not, <laughs> uh, not presently, but uh, I do have a very, uh, I have a toxic relationship uh, with UK immigration. Uh, it, it does uh, seem to swing in between um, uh, what the hell are you doing here and we don't want you to leave. Uh, so, yeah, there might be a bit of that. Cool. Do me and Mark have the look of UK immigration? Uh, if you are, you are deep, deep undercover. <laughs> I think, yeah, this jacket is a bit more like walking a park, feeding the ducks. And Mark, what, what, how would you describe your look? Office-like. So you're, what, are you cold there, Marvin? Are you going to take your jacket off or are you hedging your bets? You might leave early or something? Or Oh, I just came out. I, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Here we go. Well, I, feel, I feel, feel we should play some music in the background as yeah, the yeah. Uh, the jacket gets unzipped. We'll put some After Effects on for that. Oh, easy. Calm down, guys. <laughs> so, um, Sully, uh, tell us a bit about how you became a comedian in Manchester. Did you swim all the way from New Zealand to get to <laughs> Manchester or what was it? Uh, so uh, when I, uh, I started performing... Uh, overseas, settled on the UK. Uh, I was based in um, London for about two and a half years, um, but uh, felt, you know, I was you know, sort of sick of London, basically. Uh, uh, and so it was time to move on. And at that point, I didn't know whether I was heading back to New Zealand, I was heading elsewhere in the world. Uh, one thing left to another, and I just slowly ended up creeping north, sort of spent six months in Nottingham, couple of years in Chester uh, and then across the Manchester uh, and uh, yeah so far it's been a good fit. Okay and what what, what drew you to the Mancunian scene because I hear right now a lot of things are happening in the north you got hot water La Fienda you got like have a word like what's 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 going on up north? Yeah so it's uh, I mean weirdly um, 
being based out of Manchester works for me, uh, but part of it is, uh, like, say, the, the the northern scene as opposed to just Manchester itself. So, you know, geographically, Liverpool's only an hour away. Leeds is only an hour away. Uh, Sheffield over the Pennines an hour with change. Uh, Hull Comedy Lounge is two hours down the M62, uh, which is a fairly straight run. Uh, so Manchester's a good base to get round to all of those different uh, places in those different clubs uh, without uh, sort of just being reliant on gigging in the in in the one city. But I've I've heard, and this is from so many comics I hear travel up north, like Don Biswas. He says that up north, they you you guys pay so much more than down south. So it, it is something I've never quite figured out in the mathematics of the London scene. Um, I think what it does go back to is there was a time where acts would double up, triple up, quadruple up on a Saturday night in London. And so because of that, um, clubs could pay a bit less because that wasn't going to be your one stop uh, that um, evening doing that one gig. Um uh, whereas up north, just because of the geography, yes, you can double, um, but it's a lot harder to triple. Uh, so if you're doubling, say, you're, you might be opening a Manchester, close, closing Liverpool. Um, but uh, it'd be, you know, you, you'd really have to get logistics right to squeeze another show in between those two. Uh, people do do it, particularly if they're... Uh, uh, playing at one club that maybe has a, an early show and a late show, and they're squeezing another one, you know, in between. Uh, but you know, it, it, it's it's a lot trickier. And so if uh, if a gig's going to be your one stop uh, uh, for the evening, then it sort of has to be willing to uh, commensurate you uh, yeah. at, at at the fact that it's your one stop for that evening. Of course, yeah, yeah, it, it's. That makes sense. Now, one little thing I want to ask. So you're from New Zealand, and how is how is the humour different to the north of England? Uh, I, I've I've always felt that comedy-wise, it's um, there can often be a bigger difference between gigging in a big city in a small town in the same country than sometimes across two different countries. Um, I've been, uh, you know, I, I, I've gigged a, a lot in Europe as well. Uh, last time I gigged in Zagreb, I basically didn't even need to change my set. You know, their knowledge of international uh, going on is, um, you know, nice and wide. Uh, you know, their, their English uh, is great, uh, probably better than certainly some Scousers. Um, and, and, and so in that respect, um you know, I didn't need to change my set much. But if you were gigging somewhere smaller, it doesn't matter uh, where in what country that smaller town is, then people are often less up on world events. Why? Because it affects them less. I mean, if you live in a little idyllic village in North Wales, then you don't need to switch on the news as much. It's just going to break. It's just going to depress you. Uh, doesn't affect your life. Yours, your life is idyllic. The village is great. Um, and of course, um, in that little town, you know, they all tend to know each other. So, uh, you know, you're going to get much bigger laughs out of, uh, you know, uh, 
uh, talking about something much more microcosmic uh, than you are um, about, you know, making jokes about big world events that just don't impact their lives. Uh, so, yeah, I've always felt there's a, a bigger difference uh, in comedy audiences between big cities and small towns uh, more often than there are between, uh, often between countries. Okay. And Can I bust in with a question, Marvin? Is that all right? Yeah, go on. Who asked Sully if he's got a New Zealander, a New Zealand comedian that he would, that people listening to to this wonderful podcast might not have heard of or may well have heard of, that you would mention as a, who was influential in your career, if we call it a career? Oh, right. Uh, oh, that, that's an interesting one. So in terms of actual influence, um, would probably be someone who uh, doesn't, uh, you know, sort of doesn't perform uh, much these days. Is much more known as an uh, an anti youth suicide campaigner, um, mm. uh, and that would be Mike King. Uh, yeah. So Mike King, uh, at one point, this is uh, back in New Zealand when uh, other comedians were just you know hoping to get paid, and no one was really making a living. And there was Mike selling out, you know, the Wellington Opera House uh, on tour. Uh, at at that point, career wise. Uh, you know, he was the the host of the one stand-up TV show we had in New Zealand, uh, and he was at that point uh, on a uh, on another level to every other act in the country. Really, mm. um, uh, like I said, these days, uh, you know, uh, you know, life takes you in strange uh, in strange directions. Um, I don't know when the last time he actually performed stand-up was. Um, you know, uh, life is a journey. Uh, and uh, as I said, he's now predominantly in New Zealand known as a uh, anti-use suicide campaigner. Uh, yeah. But certainly in those early days, I mean, one thing, and this is uh, one thing about smaller scenes is it can be much more easy to network. So you can find yourself performing with someone right at the other end of the spectrum career-wise uh, in, in, in a fairly short amount of time. So when Mike was warming up for one of his national tours, he'd often do uh, small gigs and more out-of-the-way places. And he would get me to support him uh, uh, as and do the, you know, the opening warm-up, et cetera, et cetera, on those smaller stops. Uh, wow. So he gave, you know, he gave me some great stage time uh, very early on. Uh, so, uh, and, 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 and as I said, that's probably something that would, wouldn't come about in a much bigger comedy scene, um, uh, that you would, uh, see a new act, like what they do and go, Hey, you can come support me on some, uh, tour warm updates. More middle of their career, someone already that trusted. Yes, that's um, right. Someone who was sure, you know, yeah. tapped to be the, to really break through, be the next best. A big thing as opposed to the, the new kid on the block that you think might maybe go somewhere like a risk wow yeah what a legend what if you I do cried. better than him <laughs> what what if you do better than the than the headline oh, what if you do better well <laughs> look this is, um well, i mean to a certain extent that's uh always a, I say it's always a risk <laughs> I'm not I'm not sure that it is because if people it's 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 an unlikely occurrence because if people buy tickets for a show they're there to see a particular act mm. um so uh you know they can appreciate the warm-up act um uh, but they're there to see the headliner 
that's what they're literally waiting for. Um, so it's, it's probably a better, a bigger risk that an audience turn around and go, "Ah, oh, who's this guy?" Um, yeah. uh, you know, uh, there are actually certain things uh, you can do to mitigate that, um, such as if you have the uh, the headline act introduce the opening act over the microphone, something like that. Um, some people will get the headliner to go out and literally, you know, warm up the audience and then introduce the, uh, the support act. That can be a little bit dangerous because what you're doing then is you're going, you're putting the act they've come to see out in front of them and then taking them away again, yes. um, which, you know, can, uh, you know, uh, an audience might actually resent. Um, uh, one thing getting the headline act to introduce the support act over the microphone does do though, is it gives them a certain amount of, of endorsement uh, in wrestling. They would call that a rub. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, you're almost getting a okay. rub from the headliner at that point. You know, you're getting positive vibes by association. Um, uh, so yeah, it's, I think a headliner would really have to screw up for the opening act to have a better, a, a genuinely better gig than them. Uh, it would be possible if, if the headliner turns up drunk or something like that. Um, you know, it, it's certainly possible. And I'm sure it has happened somewhere along the lines. Uh, but it is, uh, uh, I, I would say, the it, it's few and far between. There's a lot of pre-screening people turning up, though, isn't there? You go to see Eddie Azad, you probably watch a few videos, you've, you've, you might have seen his last show, you're looking forward to a callback to the last show. You're, I, I would say it's even more than uh, I, I would. I would call it a filter. Um, uh, uh, Bill Bailey uh, actually talks about it. He says one of the ironies is that the bigger you become as a stand-up, often the less hard you need to work on stage mm -hmm. uh, because people going to see Bill Bailey are not only going to see Bill Bailey, they're going to see the type of humour that Bill Bailey does. Yes. Uh, so the audience is all it's not like being on a just a random name on a Saturday night where you have to please an audience that may not, for lack of a better way to put it, be your type of audience. Yes. Um, you don't need to be as broad based. And, and, and the audience uh, on a random Saturday night comedy club is uh, it's a much more mixed audience, different age groups, different tastes in comedy, all that kind of thing. Yes. Whereas if you're going to see a big name comedian, then apart from the few people, you know, just the old person is going to be dragged along by somebody else or someone who goes, I'm going to see this person just because I know they're on the tally and doesn't know anything else about them. Uh, aside from them, uh, the majority of the audience are all there to see the type of humour that that headline act does. Mm. Uh, and so in that respect... It should be easier. Hmm. Is, <clears throat> and is there any, uh, so two questions here. Could you clarify what a rub is? And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I'm uh, now. I'm gonna get, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna get HR on my uh, could, you, uh, could you show us? <laughs> <laughs> it's something you shouldn't do in a green room unless the door is locked. No, um, uh, so, so the, <laughs> I'm clarifying that right now. I'm not even waiting for the second question. Um, so uh, a rub in wrestling terms is uh, uh, if you get uh, a wrestler who's who's really big and then you put someone else either potentially in a tag team match with them. Well, now the fans are all cheering. Yeah, they were always going to cheer for the big name they know, but by osmosis, for lack of a better way to put it, they're also going to cheer for the lesser known 
a lesser known wrestler. Uh, mm. And so that would be an example of getting the rub. Uh, it also works uh, if, uh, say, you've got uh, what they call a big face, you know, the good guy in wrestling, uh, and a lesser known heel, uh, the bad guy. Well, you know, the, the heel's job is to be booed by the audience. Um, well, he's or she is automatically going to be booed just because they are being the bad person uh, to the, the, the to the good guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, that'd be... Uh, uh, I hope I've done an adequate job of uh, explaining what a rub is uh, without uh, involving uh, HR. <laughs> I, I think I've got it now. <laughs> I'm now going to watch it at home. Now... <laughs> no, uh... In the dark with the doors locked. Yes. <laughs> Private uh, browsing. Now, oh, and is so one of the list of questions I put on like who's a comic that you don't like but you can appreciate the work. Who's who's like a comic? You mentioned like comedians have their own sort of audience, but who's a comic that you're like, I can't stand this fucker, but I respect his. <laughs> I, I respect. I respect his. I respect. You know, he's good at what he does. It, it really isn't oh, for really me. But me you respect what he does. Um, wow. Do it. Uh, so uh, without going <laughs> quite that far, um, and, and, and you know what, I figure if, if if I'm going to upset one person, I might as well upset an entire group of people, um, uh, which, which sounds as though my answer is going to be worse than it is. Um, uh, so a, a type of act that I appreciate the skill, and it's a skill I even wish I had, um, but just doesn't do it for me for some reason is impressionists um i've just i've never been particularly entertained by impressionists i can appreciate the skill i can even appreciate uh, the level of observation that goes on uh, or that must go on to truly nail an impression but i'm personally just not entertained by it. and as i said it's even a skill i wish i had i wish that if i was telling a joke and i name dropped a famous person in that joke, uh, you know, that was presumably relevant to the joke, that I could then deliver the next line within, with the perfect intonation uh, of that of that said celebrity uh, mm-hmm. and the audience uh, would appreciate that fact. Uh, you know, I even wish I had that skill. Yet at the same time, for some reason, and I'm not even sure why I could t- if I could tell you why, I myself have never found myself entertained by impressionists. I just, no, just... Just not my thing. Okay. Uh, could you do one of Xi Jinping, please? If the Chinese government weren't already listening to the Zoom call, uh, then they definitely are now. <laughs> uh, uh, what did you ask, Mark? <laughs> Can we get one of Annie? What, what, what? And, and my, my best Austrian Arnold Schwarzenegger impression. Yes, I uh, well, I suppose that's just that. Yeah, yeah, I've never done an Arnold Schwarzenegger joke, and I probably won't uh, because you know, my I'll be back uh, is just not convincing. <laughs> I'll do it, uh, Commando, Commando with the Where's Sully? I let him go. <laughs> great line from Commando. Oh, it's fantastic. It's a great film. Was that the one where um, he has that uh, charm lady? As the as the as daughter or something, and he goes, "Come oh, on, yeah, Bennett! You know what, yeah, come I'm on, Bennett!" Actors, but, you know, and act, you know, actors, actresses. Uh, um, but uh, yes, I believe that's correct. Yeah, it's a f- 
commander and that's a funny name for 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 film isn't it that you're gonna go i'm going commando <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm not i'm not sure if the, the term commando was associated with not wearing boxer yes. shorts at yes. that point mm. um uh you know, or, or maybe it was, and they <laughs> thought some people would turn up because they're going to see Arnold not wearing boxer shorts. I'm not sure. Maybe it was both ways. I mean, said you wear pretty skimpy ones, didn't he? To be fair. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's not, <laughs> I don't think anything would, uh, would anything that would stop him from making the film. Yes. No, I don't want to cause any beef between you guys, but is. So we've got North and South Banter, but is there any North and South Banter in, in New Zealand? Where are you guys from? Uh, where, where are you from, Sally? Where's home? Uh, so uh, I'm from Wellington, but all my family are from the Deep South. Uh, in fact, I did a, they're so far Deep South, I did a Spates commercial back in the day. Uh, yeah, the oh, Southern good on man. You, mate. Yeah, so <laughs> I was even classed as a Southern man on uh, more than one occasion. All right. And you, so you're not truly a Southerner. You, you did a Spates advert. Yeah, yeah. Well, the uh, this is so. Uh, if you get a beer commercial, then uh, yes, uh, you get paid for the commercial. But what you really want is for them to buy your drinking rights. Oh, so wow. if you, uh, yeah, if you're in a series of commercials for the same, uh, for the same, you know, uh, alcohol manufacturer for the same beer brewer, uh, then they may buy your drinking rights. So what that yes. means is every time you go into a bar or a nightclub or any other type of liquor establishment, if their beer is on sale, that's the one you have oh, to drink. Um, wow. Now, if you go into a bar and they don't have that beer, you're allowed to buy a substitute. Uh, so that's what you really want. And uh, one of the mainstays of the Spates commercials at the time, uh, he uh, they had bought his drinking rights Despite the fact he lived in Sydney, <laughs> oh. yeah, they and they didn't sell spates in Sydney at the time. Like it was, uh, wow. he was, uh, yeah, he was on to a, um, a, uh, yeah, yeah, great, uh, a, a great thing there. Almost called it a scam. I don't think that's quite fair, but uh, yeah, 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 he was on to a good. Well, it was selling my hometown's Hamilton, and we had Waikato, which is a bit of a bit a bit of sort of beer, and it's and it's brewed in Auckland, mm. so. I don't. I hope you. Yeah, which you're probably still bitter about. Yes. <laughs> Hamilton, otherwise known as Hamiltron, H Town, City of the Future. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's almost renamed it Waikato City because Hamilton is so shit. They thought the best bet of getting people to visit Hamilton was by getting them to visit Hamilton without realizing they were going to Hamilton. <laughs> it's a beef between your towns, is there? Nah. <laughs> Uh, New Zealand's too small to really have uh, too many towns that have beef. Uh, I think I, I think the closest thing to beef uh, between anywhere in New Zealand, maybe a little bit between you know what you know the mainland uh, is uh, yeah. the South Island call themselves. So so you know the North Island would be the big brother to the South Island just in terms of population. So mm. you know, but that that's a little bit one way traffic. You know, you probably get people in the South Island going, the South Island's better, and people going from the North Island going, yeah, good point, well made. Um, <laughs> uh, and aside from that, it's just everybody else versus Auckland. Yes, I, I think that's pretty much it. Yeah. Yep. Oh, what, what is the term Jaffa? Yeah. Oh, what, what is what's the beef with the Aucklands? Auckland. Well, just because Auckland's a big city, so it's a bit like you know people taking the piss out of London. Uh, yeah, Chelsea, isn't it? The big yeah. smoke. Auckland's the big smoke. Uh, so the yeah, the term for or the derogatory term for an Aucklander is Jaffa, which is short for just another fucking Aucklander. 
<laughs> That's good. I, I remember that. Yes. Yep. Yep. Now, if you ever need to uh, look disparaging, uh, it's uh, use a disparaging term for an Aucklander. Uh, there you have it. Yeah. My managers from from you, I think, from there. So I'll mention it too. Uh, now you, yeah, well, now you know. Now you know. Well, more yeah. the point. Even if he's not from Auckland itself, if he's just from anywhere in the North Island, it, it, it'll still work because that will just annoy him more. <laughs> <laughs> Like, for instance, if he is from Hamilton, you call him a Jaffa. That will annoy him far more than yes. if he was from Auckland and you called him a Jaffa. <laughs> now, this is a question to both of you guys. How is it, what's, what are the advantages, and disadvantages of being a foreigner in the UK? <laughs> I, should have seen, I should say. <laughs> well, is this still a comedy? I sound, uh, I sound like you, kid. Advantages of being foreign. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Is it? Is it? I I think it'd be it would be totally different for Sully. I would suspect than than me in London because when I lived outside London, people had never met another New Zealander, and they wanted to know if I knew their relatives that had moved to New Zealand. Whereas now, <laughs> it's just oh, you know, it's effectively instead of that, just another fucking Aucklander. It's just another New Zealander, isn't it? Coming over here. I suppose years ago you would have lived in Earl's Court. Now you're in Hammersmith. Oh, how times have changed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is uh so it's uh in terms of uh, the comedy side of things it's a double-edged sword uh, in that um if uh, someone wants to internationalize a bill well then i automatically do that mm. uh, by being you know from the other side of the world but it also means uh that yeah, when they make those decisions, to a certain extent, they're pigeonholing you. Uh, and I, I once had a booker call me up and say, oh, we're going to have to uh, take this gig out of the diary. And I was like, why? And he said, oh, well, we've already got an Australian on the bill. <laughs> and, and I was like, you do know I'm from a yes. different country. And he was like, yeah, but you know. You say that's racist. <laughs> I didn't I, did, I, did, I didn't attempt to pull the race card. Uh <laughs> uh, so to speak um but yeah 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 i mean it's very rare that it, that i'm on a bill with another new zealander if i am then majority of the time the vast majority of the time one of us will be mc uh, because what a book has done is they've gone i need a good mc this person's a good mc book them in and then booked in a range of acts without giving any more consideration uh to where the mc is from um, which uh, is kind of fair to a certain extent. I mean, when I'm emceeing or hosting, it's not unusual for me not to ever get round to mentioning where I'm from. I'm much more interested mm -hmm. in the audience. You know, it's kind of my job. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's I, I probably gig with another New Zealander maybe twice a year. Uh, and that'll be out of a, you know, that, that'll be out of a couple of hundred gigs. So. Mm. There you go. Marvin, I've got to apologise then, Sally. I've got to go for another meeting. No worries, man. I've got, I've got the day job thing. <laughs> no worries, man. Mark, thanks such for coming on. Such an interruption, on. though. The, the day job, such an interruption to my loving of com loving the comedy. <laughs> and Sully, keep in touch, and I would love to see you in Edinburgh next year. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, like, Three uh, tickets. Yeah, it's good to see you up there, mate. Three tickets. Thanks, just leave them at the counter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll sort it out. <laughs> and Mark's an accountant, so he can help you with your figures. Oh, yes. Uh, well, 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 now that I know that. <laughs> <laughs> quite, often, quite often comedians worry about what to do with their tax losses, and I'm sure I can help you with that. 
Yeah, well, well uh, that, w w one thing comedians are not well known for is their uh, ability when it comes to admin. So uh... <laughs> it was great seeing you guys and good luck. Nice okay, See you guys. Later. Later. Yeah, he's he's a, he's a regular uh, audience member at my comedy shows in London. He is he's a very good heckler, talented heckler. <laughs> yeah, nothing wrong with getting a uh, you know having a podcast where you talk about comedy. So uh, makes sense to have both uh, the uh, the comedians and the regular hecklers on the same podcast. Could be done more. <laughs> That's true. Well, it wouldn't it, it would would it be funny with one of those big videos where you get some. You know James Loveridge? He had a video where some guy threw a glass at him. Wouldn't it be funny to have them on a podcast? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, well, maybe... obviously throw, throwing the podcast live would be tricky. Uh, sorry, yeah. throwing, the podcast, throwing the glass live on the podcast might be tricky. Uh, of course, Bobby Mayer um, went viral recently with a uh, video of him having tracked down a heckler after 10 years uh, and... Um... <laughs> confronting him in his place of work which was quite amusing oh that was brilliant i, I think we should do that more <laughs> yeah 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 it's it, yeah it, it would change the game a little if uh hecklers realized there were uh potential uh you know internet-based consequences now we we i think uh, you went to the Edinburgh Fringe last year and I think I did as well what were your thoughts on it as a whole because I spoke to Tom Little and I'm going to put the episode up with him later on in the week but he says that he's become more and more cynical the Fringe the more he's done it and he says that he may as well gig in London if he wants to get contact with the agents rather than go up in Edinburgh because every time he emails them they say they're too busy the I certainly don't think that the Edinburgh Fringe is the great networking opportunity that it once was. Only not saying it's not good for networking, but there's so many other options out there. You know, there's people who have uh, become very big without ever having done uh, an Edinburgh Fringe run. Uh, it used to be once upon a time there was only sort of really one route, and that involved uh, getting seen at the fringe uh getting the offer on the table from a production company uh and then hopefully uh making that big project that you'd always wanted to make uh whereas now you've had people uh like limmy uh the scottish act who sat in his bedroom uh did one person sketches uh, uh filmed very basically and ended up with a tv show contract i think before he'd ever done a live gig um, so the days where there was only one way to go about things in terms of, uh, navigating, uh, a, you know, comedy career, uh, I think of, uh, you know, technology, social media, et cetera, et cetera, YouTube even, uh, have changed all of that. Yeah. And what's it called? I think Constantine Kissing put out a post. Do you know Constantine Kissing and Francis Foster? Oh, yes, 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 of course. The notorious and famous trigonometry guys. What, what, mm. what should I call them? I, I, I call them famous. And they, he put up a post saying, stop doing the Edinburgh Fringe. He says that it's all about online stuff. Look, uh, so uh, when people ask me about doing Edinburgh Fringe, they're like, oh, I'm thinking about doing Edinburgh Fringe. What's the first thing I should do? And I say the first thing you should do is figure out why you're doing the Edinburgh Fringe. 
um, because unless you know what your goals are, you can't possibly work towards them. Uh, so if you are going to Edinburgh Fringe, uh, hoping to win an award, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, um, then you'll probably go for, you know, one of the most well-known venues, you know, your mortgage, your house to get the deposit. Um, uh, and you'll go for broke. Um, if you're a newer act and you're going up to Edinburgh Fringe just to cram six months or 12 months with a stage time into one month, um, that is, and using the day job to fund that, uh, that's a completely realistic goal. Uh, if you're going to Edinburgh Fringe to make money, and people do, this is something that's overlooked, is that some acts go to the Fringe and they do make money. Um, uh, then again, you'll be going about the fringe a different way. So you'll be going for the, the best venue you can get for the least amount of money because you want to keep your, your outgoings low. Uh, you'll be putting on uh, a show that is not necessarily about impressing the industry, but about attracting audience. And they aren't necessarily the same things. And that will also affect your branding and what you are or aren't willing to pay uh, in terms of publicity. Um, so... Uh, one thing that I will say as a negative is that for too long, acts have been almost, you know, I don't want to say brainwashed, but uh, convinced that it's okay to lose vast amounts of money at the fringe. That that simply shouldn't be the case. Uh, and, and you sometimes hear people say, oh, but everybody loses money at the fringe. Well, obviously, everybody can't lose money. That's like saying, oh. hey, we a poker game on Thursday. Oh, who won? Oh, none of us. We all lost. Uh, no, it doesn't work like that. Like the money's going somewhere. So uh, if you're saying the acts aren't making money, then maybe the venues are making money. If you're saying the venues aren't making money, then maybe the landlords are making money. Saying it's not the landlords and it's the council. But uh, you know, the money's going somewhere uh, and the acts should be getting their fair share of the pie. And some acts definitely are. Uh, and unfortunately, other acts have been allowed themselves to be convinced that it's okay to go up there lose vast amounts uh and as constantine is you know has pointed out um that's no longer necessary uh even if you're trying to make that big step up to the next level yeah that's true that's <clears throat> yeah that, that well, yeah i i yeah that's brilliant that's gone on a lot more the th yeah it, it, you you've put it there like one of those life co coach courses or whatever <laughs> They, 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 like Tony Robbins makes a lot of money, but yeah. Yeah, Tony Robbins makes a lot of money um, doing courses, telling people how they can make a lot of money. Uh, when Tony Robbins has figured out the best way to make a lot of money is getting other people to pay him so he could tell them how to make a lot of money. Uh, whether those other people ever make a lot of money is kind of irrelevant to Tony Robbins. He's just made a lot of money. And it's funny with that as well, because even if people do well in that, he can all if he's got so many people going to the courses, he's bound to have someone that's going to make something out of themselves. And then he gets yeah, to put and then it as he a can testimony. Use that as, yeah, put that person on their next billboard, or, you know, put, put them on the screen behind him. So-and-so is now CEO of such and such. Um, and yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just uh, builds and builds. Now, what, what for yourself, when you, what, what your thoughts on the, do you, you go up there to sharpen material? or test ideas uh, so i'll be be honest uh, i fall into the making money category in terms of how i go about the fringe um uh so i mean 
uh, this year, uh, possibly to uh, <laughs> my own detriment, uh, I, I didn't even bother sending out press releases because the show that I wrote, uh, I wrote it because it was a show that I would enjoy performing. Uh, I wrote it because I believed it was a show that uh, a certain sector of audiences would enjoy going to watch. Um, but I didn't think it was a very industry show. Uh, it was called A Complete Edit's Guide to New Zealand. Uh, as it turns out, not only uh, did I enjoy performing it, not only did audiences uh, really enjoy coming and see it, uh, you know, certainly based on ticket sales, um, but to my surprise, I got a five-star review, you know, three days in. Uh, so someone had actually bothered, despite the fact I hadn't sent in a single press release, someone had bothered to come and review it, and they reviewed it well. Uh, and and literally, I mean, obviously, I was stoked to get a five-star review. You know, I, I was pleasantly surprised that anybody had come to review it in the first place. Uh, in hindsight, I was like, Fuck, should have sent out some press releases. Um, <laughs> um, it just goes goes show you never can tell. I I, I would say uh, if you want to enjoy yourself at the fringe, though, uh, that is, you know, do that thing that you want to do, and possibly that is something that we uh, don't place enough merit on. Uh, in the comedy industry, sometimes we can be a little bit cynical. We can be a little bit careerist. And we'll be like, oh, no, don't do that thing uh, because, you know, the industry uh, just won't be into that thing. Uh, well, yeah, fuck them. <laughs> do the thing you want to do. Uh, no one got into comedy to do stuff they don't want to do. Uh, every once in a while I have this uh, argument with my agent. Um, you know, I'll be offered uh, some particular gig and it'll usually be, you know, um, out outside of standard comedy clubs and I'll just say no. And he's like, but it's really good money. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> and he was like, don't you want the money? And I, and I have to explain to him, if it was always just about the money, I wouldn't have got into stand-up comedy to begin with. I would have done some other job that pays better more consistently. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, it's funny, isn't it, the pay in comedy? Like, the, the, the wages you make in maybe three months a lawyer will probably get in a week or or i i, I know people who and you know what i actually think it's um for those who come into comedy from backgrounds where they maybe did have a high paying day job uh i think it's it's trickiest for them um i knew an act back home who could was in a situation where he could have potentially been a full-time stand-up, but he literally was a lawyer as a day job. Uh, and he had a wife, kids, family, and a mortgage. Uh, and obviously uh, that solicitor money uh, was much trickier to turn down uh, than some other day job may have been. On the flip side, I know an act on the circuit who when people ever say to him, um, oh, so... Uh, you know, what, what, what's the big plan for your career? You know, what do you want to do next? You know, you, do you want to get a Netflix special? What do you want to do? His response is always simply, I used to be a welder. <laughs> and that's all he says. He's just so happy no longer being a welder uh, that if he never goes any further than simply being a full-time comedian, he'll still be really happy he's no longer a welder. <laughs> And what about you? No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> I've never been a welder. <laughs> now, with with stand up as a whole, and with comedy changing, and how what do you see? What do you see? Where do you see comedy going? 
in the next few years and how and what's what actually no let's change that what is one thing you'd like to change about comedy if you could oh one thing i'd like to change about comedy if i could um uh because your initial question probably the answer was going to be really big and now you've asked the question where the answer is going to be really small um if i could change one thing about comedy i think i would make it compulsory uh that every booker uh every show manager at a comedy club uh every agent um every comedy agent has to attempt to do stand-up comedy at least once uh ideally we make it three times um just so they can see things uh a little bit clearly uh more a little bit more clearly from the perspective of the comedian um uh i saw a uh, i saw an interesting uh comment by uh a pro comedian uh on Facebook a little while ago, uh, they said, uh, one thing I've learned about stand-up comedy and X number of years doing stand-up over a decade in their case, uh, is that comedians really appreciate uh, an MC that is all about making sure the audience is ready for the acts and bookers don't. Uh, and I think there's an element of truth to that. I think that sometimes... Uh, particularly when it comes to compares and MCs, uh, that some bookers uh, simply see whether that MC or that compare is getting big laughs, not whether that MC or compare is actually setting up the room for the acts to succeed in that environment. Sometimes that's not about getting big laughs. Sometimes that's about keeping a lid on the energy in the room so it doesn't get out of hand before an act is brought to the stage. Uh, and to help uh everybody else in the industry have those sorts of uh insights uh like i said uh i'll make it compulsory uh that every act uh, so every act every agent every booker every show manager has attempted a stand-up set at least once hmm. yes the live comedy association listen up <laughs> yeah i'm not sure i'm not sure if they can put that kind of barrier of entry to the market uh and don't get me wrong there's actually quite a few agents out there quite a few bookers out there uh that that's how they came into the industry um that they uh their first um entrance into the industry was actually you know starting out at open mic nights etc cetera, etc cetera. and you know they may have done comedy for you know, six months, uh, sometimes more before realizing, you know what, maybe their own skill set uh, is better utilized off stage. Um, and I do uh, think that there is a benefit uh, to those bookers, those agents, those show managers, having had that experience. Oh, yeah. That, like Adam Rushton's one of them, isn't he? Uh, Adam Rushton uh, was an act for at least a couple of years. Uh, I know Rob Riley. Um, has uh, and so Rob still occasionally compares. Uh, um, uh, or uh, Daryl Martin from Just the Tonic. Uh, so yeah, there, 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 there are um, Lee Martin, Gag Reflex. Uh, there's there's quite a few of them out there that, like I said, uh, have had that experience uh, before uh, utilizing their skills uh, in more of an offstage arena. Um, and um, uh, you know, from my own personal point of point of view uh i think that can only be a benefit yeah definitely definitely and and that that, that I, that's also a case it's, i think sometimes with audiences as well if they if they if they if they still saw what it was like on the other side i think 
things may be better as well. Yeah, well, I mean, we, we often talk about, you know, uh, certain gigs have very comedy savvy audiences, uh, uh, which is, I guess, a fancy word for having seen a lot of comedy usually. Uh, and some some gigs have much more, I don't want to say naive, uh, because that almost sounds offensive, but uh, audiences that are newer to comedy. Um, now, one tricky thing there is that those two audiences have to be played in a different way. Uh, uh, if you've got a very comedy savvy audience, uh, they understand the nuances. Um, uh, and so you can do certain jokes for that audience that they will pick up on that a newer audience may not. On the flip side, uh, a new, uh, you know, uh, lines that we may see as, and I hesitate to use the word hack, um, but certainly old school. Um, you know, buy the book, a little bit paint by numbers. Um, obviously, uh, a comedy savvy audience, well, they've probably heard them all before, uh, but a audience that's new to comedy, um, well, that's all, as I said, that's all new to them. Uh, and they, those audiences usually need to be eased in a little bit. Um, so they actually probably need some comedy, assuming at the top of a show, if we just talk about the night, that is a little bit more by the book uh, before they get, you know, before you bring on an act who gets into, you know, uh, trickier areas. Uh, whereas that comedy savvy audience, where they've seen lots of by the book acts in the past, they're already, uh, you know, prepped for that uh, more nuanced, trickier, uh, boundary pushing style of act. Uh, and you can bring that uh, performer straight on. Uh, you get a new, uh, a, an audience that's new to comedy, you bring on that boundary pushing act, and often it's just too much at the top for them. Uh, so, yeah, like I said, um, those types of audiences do need to be played in different ways. And again, bookers, agents, show managers uh, hopefully understand that. Of course. Now, if for anyone that's listening in right now and they want to find out about Sully, um, and they don't go on Top Boy. <laughs> yeah. How how do they how do they how do they find out about you? Do they find out about you on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube? Uh, so um, I you know uh, I fly about on social media. Uh, SullyOSullivan dot com is one stop uh, where you can. Uh, uh, you know, uh, find all the links uh, for my social media. My social media is at Sully something uh, uh, because that's usually it was Sully something. Uh, so at Sully something, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook uh, as well. Uh, I think I've got a TikTok account. Uh, I think it's got a video of me and my cat with my cat doing tricks. Uh, so yeah, so possibly uh, put more work into TikTok. <laughs> So you know what? So if you look for Sully, you'll find it. And what's the name of the cat? Uh, the cat is a, uh, the cat in question is Mr. Bubbles. Uh, I did not name the cat. I'm the cat's third human. Um, uh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, basically, one of my neighbors passed away, unfortunately, during lockdown. Uh, there was no one to look after the cat. Uh, their family couldn't take the cat, uh, you know. Uh, the cat's original human now had a dog. Uh, neighbors on the other side had a dog that really likes cats. Uh, neighbor on the other side of the road, on the upside, 
he did have a cat, but he also had a dog, so he was kind of catered for his pets. Uh, so they all had a meeting I wasn't at and decided that I now had a cat. Uh, so that is uh, you know, how I came to have a cat called Mr. Bubbles. Um, uh, oh, also, by the way, if, if you um, do uh, want to see my friend show, uh, Idiot's Guide to New Zealand.com. Uh, that will take you to um, uh, tickets for that show and also the social media links for anything else as well uh, for the show coming up at Leicester Festival and Glasgow Festival next year. And we're waiting on Brighton dates uh, at the moment. All right. So, guys, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Make sure you give up the podcast review on Amazon or iTunes. And the next guest is going to be the marvellous Colin Higgins, and he's going to talk about how he was punched by a woman at the Edinburgh Fringe and got a black eye. So I like the fact that you added in at the Edinburgh Fringe on the end of that. I thought you just were just bringing on someone who got punched in the face by a woman. <laughs> I, I, maybe I should have ended on that, shouldn't I? <laughs> It'd be a different category of podcast. But yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed it and I'll see you guys soon. Uh...